Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey, Connect. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm glad you decided to join us today as we are continuing this series, Who is Jesus? Excuse me, Who is, Who is Jesus? And we're uh, really getting after this question. It's an important question. It's a controversial question. And we're going to see that today. But something you need to know about me up front, I'm just not one to pick fights. Like, that's just not who I am. I try to avoid fights if I can. That is until there was an opportunity for me to ask a Muslim imam a question. And then I just went for it. I'll set the stage for you. I was a student at Denver Seminary and had to take a cross-cultural ministry class. Now, back in high school, I had been on some foreign missions trips, been to Guatemala, Mexico. But I got to be honest with you, I had more cross-cultural experiences right here in the Denver metro area than I did traveling to these foreign countries. And one of these experiences was we went to a Muslim mosque just to experience their service. And then afterwards, we went down into the basement and we circled up a bunch of chairs. The imam came down and he graciously met with myself and my fellow students. And after kind of sharing just a little bit briefly about himself, we... uh, we got to ask him a question. He said, all right, each of you can ask me one question. I'll just kind of work my way around the circle here and ask whatever you'd like. So one after another, my fellow students are asking him questions about his beliefs, his faith practices, the whole deal. And I, I gotta be real with you, I was like only partially listening because what I was really focused on was what's the one question that I want to ask him? Like I got one opportunity, one question. What do I want to ask this guy? Well, eventually it, he comes to me and I'm, I'm, I've been thinking back on the books I've read on Islam, the classes I've had, the world religion classes in high school, college, even reading books in preparation for this experience. I'm thinking about on all of those things. And I remember, okay, there is, there's a critical difference from my understanding, a critical difference between what Muslims believe and what Christians believe about Jesus. I knew Muslims believe that Jesus is a teacher and a prophet, and I, as a Christian, believe Jesus is God. So a, a truth that I see very plainly in Scripture. So when he comes to me, I just went for the jugular. I, I was like, help me understand. Jesus claimed to be God... Those around him recognize that claim to be God. Why don't you believe he's God? And, and I wish I could tell you like exactly what, how he responded. It sounded like what I had read previously. I, 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 honest, I, I forget the specifics of his response, but here's what I do remember feeling. I remember hearing him talk and realizing, oh, you've actually never heard that Jesus claimed to be God. You don't know that those around him also recognized that claim. Like, you just haven't heard this. How tragic. He had to move on to the next student, and understandably so, but I left a little, a little unsatisfied. I wanted to sit down and have coffee with him. 
I wanted to better understand his perspective. I wanted to maybe even have an opportunity to share why I believe what I believe. Because I don't think he had ever heard it. Jesus is controversial. Jesus is especially controversial when there are misunderstandings around who he is. But Jesus is even controversial when he is painfully clear. When he just speaks very directly and clearly about who he is. And we're going to see one such account today. And because Jesus is controversial, it's no wonder that there are people who curse his name and others who praise his name. There are thousands of historical records on his life, but what is his identity? Who is Jesus? We know what our professors think. We know what our parents think. But we can't just bank on their perspective because our eternity actually hangs in the balance. And that's why we're doing our due diligence and we're looking at an eyewitness account together from John. He was a close friend and follower of Jesus. And John wrote what we have been reading throughout this series because he wanted people to know the Jesus he knew. And the Jesus he knew was controversial and not everyone agreed on who he was. And that's what we're gonna take a look at Today. So if you've got a Bible with you, would you turn with me to John chapter 5? You can follow along there. You can also follow along in our church app as well as take some notes there. And if you're exploring faith in Jesus, I just got to say, I'm so glad you're here today because you came on a great day. Today, you're going to see really the dividing line why some oppose Jesus and others accept Jesus. And if you're here today and like myself, you follow Jesus. I'm glad you're here too because you know that Jesus is controversial. You've experienced that in some conversations. You've felt it when you've read some headlines. You know Jesus can be controversial. What do you do when Jesus is controversial? That's what we're going to also see today. But before we get into any of that, would you do something? Would you bow your heads and let's pray and let's ask to hear from God now. God, we come before you expectant to hear from you. Would you reveal Jesus to us as we read your word? Would you speak through me? Would you give us hearts that are open to hear what you have to say to each and every one of us? In Jesus' name, amen. So John 5 is a theological drama, and I'm going to read the, the first inciting incident, and then what we'll do is we'll spend a little bit more time examining the evidence and Jesus' defense to the accusations made against him, all right? Starting in verse 1. John writes, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now just for context, here's a, a picture of what this space looks like. Okay, this is taken recently. At this spot, the, the lame, the disabled, the paralyzed, they would wait day after day. And they would wait there because rumor was that when the waters were stirred, there was this pool there. When the waters were stirred, the first one in would be healed of whatever their ailment was. So this guy was waiting there day after day for a very long time. Let's keep reading. Now in verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, 
do you want to get well? Really? I mean, like, come on, Jesus. It's been 38 years. It's actually longer than most people lived back then. He's gone there day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, hoping that the waters would be stirred and that he would be able to be the first one in. And and maybe, just maybe, he'd be healed. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up pick up your mat and walk. Jesus tells him to do three things that he hasn't done in 38 years. Get up, like really? Pick up your mat, seriously? And walk. You've got to be kidding me. And yet, what the guy couldn't have done in years and years of waiting by the pool, Jesus did in an instant. I mean, check this out. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you carry your mat. Okay, this guy has just been healed after 38 years with this ailment. Totally ruined his life. And of course, he's now running through the streets. He's happy. It's the best day of his life. He is healed. But when the Pharisees see him, they scold him saying, oh, you can't carry your mat. It's the Sabbath. And and when God gave the law to his people, he did tell them to honor the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. You're supposed to rest on that day. And over the years, what had happened was the religious, in an honest effort to honor the Sabbath, the religious leaders concocted 39 explanations, like like detailed, uh, you know, fleshing out of what it would mean to work on the Sabbath. 39, they came up with all these ways, things you can't do because they're considered work on the Sabbath. You know what you're thinking? You're thinking, I want to invite those guys on my next vacation. They sound like tons of fun. 39 ways you, you can't work on the Sabbath. And one of those was carrying an object from one location to another. So they see the guy doing that. He's carrying his mat and they make it known. You can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. I gotcha. Now back back in the text, verse 11 says, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Okay, apparently this guy's not much fun either, because here he is, a tattletale, telling on Jesus for healing him on the Sabbath. Now, what we already see in this incident is that Jesus is more than a mere man, because Jesus did for a man what the man couldn't do for himself. And next, Jesus is questioned by the religious leaders, not only for the act he performed, but for the claim he makes. You see, he claims that he is God. Listen to this, just sends him over the edge. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. 
and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Here Jesus is being questioned for breaking the man-made Sabbath, but Jesus just adds fuel to the fire when he says, my father. The, the religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was claiming when he said, my father. Jesus was equating himself with God. And as they heard this, they, they thought it was absolute blasphemy. They wanted to silence this heretic. They wanted to kill him. And it's actually this account that I pointed to when I asked that pointed question to the imam. Because Jesus called God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is God, and being God, Jesus didn't fit into the religious leader's God box. He, he bust right through those walls. Everyone there knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. Whether they chose to believe it, that's where it got divisive. It's also where Jesus dug in. He held his ground and actually bolstered his point. Now in verse 19 and following, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. The point being, Jesus is God. So Jesus doesn't operate under human authority. He operates with God's authority. Jesus doesn't follow the rules of man. Jesus is, is part of something bigger. He is sent by God. He does what the Father does. And as the Father gives life, the Son gives life. The Father doesn't judge. He's entrusted the Son with that responsibility. Whoever honors Jesus honors God, but whoever doesn't honor Jesus doesn't honor God. Why? Because Jesus is God. But do you believe this is true? Do you believe this is true? Because it's not enough to hear this is true. It's not even enough to see this is true. Like they witnessed it. They saw the miracle. And yet, some didn't, some didn't believe. It's not enough to hear. It's not enough to see. Jesus calls all to believe this is true. He said it this way in verse 24 and following. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man." Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. 
for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. God is life. And Jesus is God, so Jesus is life. Thus, whoever believes in Jesus receives eternal life. Though we, we physically die, we spiritually live. We, we get to have a relationship with God, both now and forever. It's why Jesus came. You see, our sin, it disconnected us from God. But Jesus came to forgive our sin. John famously said it this way in chapter 3. This might sound familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When we're disconnected from God, it's because of our sin. And while we were still sinners, that's when God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to reconcile us to him. Now, to receive this gift of eternal life, we've got to believe in Jesus. We have to believe he's the Messiah, the, the Son of God. We have to believe that he forgives our sin, that he saves us. We believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Know this, when you believe in Jesus, you move from death to life. Eternal separation from God to eternal life with God. That is really, really good news. It is why we gather. It's why we celebrate. Because Jesus is our Lord. And more than our Lord, he is our God. Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe Jesus is God? Personally, a a huge reason that I believe Jesus is God and, and he is who he says he is, is because those who were there, not just that day, but but throughout Jesus' life and ministry. They, they observed it firsthand. They followed him. They heard his teaching. They saw him crucified, and they also saw him resurrected. Those who were there, many of whom, they actually gave their life to stand by this truth. They would not back down. They knew who Jesus was, and they would not back down, even if it meant their own death. And it did mean many of their own death but they believe Jesus all the way through the end. Now, but maybe the the case isn't closed for you. That's one of the reasons why I believe Jesus is who he says he is. But uh, did you know that in in a Jewish court of law, it, it took two witnesses for a case to be considered valid? Well, Jesus actually closed his argument with four testimonies sealing his case for who he is. And and this is kind of the four that he lists. We're just going to read a a few and then I'll summarize them for us. Okay, verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose to, uh, uh, you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony, or t- excuse me, testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Have you never heard his, you've never heard his voice or seen his form? Nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe in the one he sent. 
You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accepted accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? The, the religious leaders had their undies in a bunch already, and Jesus just went for it. And he actually lists four things that witness to, that testify to Jesus' identity. The first being John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the, the great forerunner, the great anticipator of the Messiah, the one who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's, he's announcing Jesus' arrival to his audience. That's the first. The second is miraculous signs. Earlier in John, we saw Jesus turn water into wine. Here, we see him heal a man who couldn't heal himself. These are things only God can do. We've got John the Baptist. We've got miraculous signs. And then the third is God the Father, like God himself. Verse 37 begins, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. And then four, Scripture. The very scriptures that these religious leaders poured their lives into studying. They, they thought it was obedience to the law. That if they could just do it all right, then it'd all be well. But Jesus, Jesus is like, look, belief in scripture doesn't give you eternal life. Belief in me, in Jesus, belief in Jesus is the way to eternal life. Knowledge doesn't save, Jesus saves. Following rules doesn't lead to life. Following Jesus leads to eternal life. But here's the thing, if we're not careful, we can be just like those religious leaders. All about the letter of the law, and, and we can have great knowledge, but we can miss what truly matters. I've seen this firsthand studying uh, biblical studies in undergrad and then uh, going to seminary, I had students in my theology classes, in my Bible classes, friends, who we came in, we started together, we loved Jesus, we were excited to get to know his word more. And what happened over time was they lost the awe of the forest for the sake of the trees. And what they ended up really losing was their first love. In church, may we never lose sight of Jesus. Jesus is the one scripture testifies to. Jesus is our first love. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And, and others, they're going to want to debate our stance on social issues or science. And that's understandable. At best, we can have an interesting conversation. But until we agree on the main thing, we're probably going to have a debate that leads to division. And 
when people ask uh, me about uh, what's our stance on X, Y, or Z, a social issue, or, or whatever, evolution, or even a theological like distinctive, something that, that we believe, I rarely answer them outright. Instead, I ask them a question back. And I'll just say, well, first, help me understand, what do you believe about Jesus? Not what denomination are you a part of? Not what school did you go to? Not even what do you believe about Scripture? What do you believe about Jesus? Because until we agree on Jesus, it's going to be really hard to have a good, healthy conversation. It's possible, but it's hard. And it's getting ever harder. Because our foundation's different. The, the, the whole foundation on which we're building our worldview is very different. We're filtering things through different values. We have a different Lord. But when we can agree on Jesus, it gives us an opportunity to very freely discuss, debate, and discern what truth is. And not just to seek that truth, but to pursue that truth. This is why we got to do what Jesus did in this passage. We got to keep the main thing the main thing. People are going to want to argue about things that are important, but not the most important. And we got to get to the most important thing as fast as possible. Jesus is controversial. And when Jesus is controversial, feel the freedom. Let him be controversial. He can handle it. He can handle it. And not everyone's going to agree. And that's okay. That, it's a bummer. But that's not, that's not our job. But when things get controversial, let Jesus be the thing that's controversial. Not, not something else you said, not how you treated someone. Let Jesus, like if that's the dividing line, who is Jesus? And is he God? Because here's the, here's the crazy thing, and this might upset some of you, okay? But it, it's true, and I do believe this. In heaven, there are going to be people who, while they were on earth, they disagreed about sexuality. They disagreed about science. They may even have disagreed about scripture. But everyone in heaven will have agreed about one thing. They will have agreed that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. And that's where we got to anchor our arguments. Not just to argue, I'm not an argumentative person, but because this is what we believe. This is who we believe in. And if we believe in Jesus now, we have eternity to sort the rest of the things out. And that'll be tons of fun. But we don't get to do that in probably the way you'd like, unless we believe Jesus is who he says he is now. Now, well, I, I wish I knew, even what the, the imam, where he was at in his belief around Jesus said, I wish I, I knew. Here's what I do know. Okay, I've been able to walk with people uh, much longer than one conversation or even just one question. I have walked with atheists. I've walked with those who identify as gay. I've walked with those who are nominal in their faith. And I have seen them come to saving faith in Jesus. Not because I came at them with all these points, but because we've talked about a simple question. Who is Jesus? And as we've talked about that question and looked to Scripture for an answer, we have, we have four accounts, four biographies on Jesus' life in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll look to Scripture and we just, you know, who is he? 
Who do you, who do you say Jesus is? Because this is what Scripture says. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the Word, meaning He's the source of creation. He's the ruler over creation. He is light. He is life. He is fully God, and He is fully man. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And being God, Jesus is the way for you and me to have a relationship with God. Our sin, those times where we did what might have felt good in the moment, but actually led us away from God and God's best, those times, Jesus came to forgive us for those times, to wash us clean, so that we can have life in his name. So, believe in Jesus to receive eternal life. That's what this is all about. Let me pray for us. God, would you work in us towards that end? Thank you, Jesus, that you don't shy away from controversy, that you don't get uncomfortable when others are uncomfortable. Thank you for sticking true to who you are, and would you help us do the same? Would you grow our conviction around your identity? Would, would you draw us closer to you? Would you help us to know you and love you and follow you all the more closely? And would we do so in a way that, that isn't agitating to others, but, but does focus on the main thing, that being you? And as we do that, would we see many around us who, who maybe had objections to you because really they had objections to how we were talking about you or we were acting. Would you work in their hearts and would you draw them to Jesus? In his name, amen.